0: Hey, you, want access to exclusive secret ops intel? Check out the link in the description.
1: I think operators, we just like to take on things we never did before. It's like, hey, please do this. And you say, well, I don't know how to do that, but I'm gonna figure it out real fast. I mean, just, you like it, you love it, you learn it, and then you massage it till you get better at it.
0: Welcome to Secret Ops, the podcast uncovering the world of operations, one episode at a time. I'm your host, Ariana Caffone. And on today's episode, we have Joe Aurelia, an operations executive for over 20 years, who's dedicated to technical and operational leadership. Now, Joe is one of those people who has worked in so many different focuses of operations from technology to revenue ops, to people ops, security, and much more. This conversation really ended up being about what is the common thread through all of those things and what are some ways that you can take all of those lessons and operators learn over 20 years of his experience into your own life. Let's check it out. Joe, thanks so much for coming on Secret Ops. It was exciting to see your background because you've been in so many different aspects of operations that there's a lot that we're going to dive into today. But I want to thank you so much for agreeing to come on and talk to us.
1: I really appreciate it. And thank you very much for having me here today.
0: Yeah, of course. As we start with everybody, we want to know your journey into operations, because as we're learning, everybody's journey is very different. (laughs) There's no Pattern. Um, So, what is your journey into operations, and and how did you get into the work that you're doing today?
1: Yes, for sure. I mean, certainly, it was it's sort of a a story journey from start to beginning. I I don't think anyone really starts out out of their education thinking, "Hey, I'm going to do operations. I'm going to try to own." the kitchen sink you know, of a company. Uh, so I began life as a computer scientist. So hardcore technology really loved to build those worlds in your head and then see them come to life in terms of an application and, and serving others. And I did that for at for a long time, really responsible for very large end systems, moving into the enterprise architecture aspects of getting more of that leadership, more of that global experience. Um, but then I had the opportunity to get an MBA as, as part of the uh, position I was in. And that really opened your eyes more into the leading, the scaling, the global nature, the finances. And it was, was very enjoyable to see how you were able to, to marry that technology world uh, with the operational world. Moving past those experiences, I had the opportunity to start uh, another company of mine. I had a few over time. I had a consulting company for about 20 years, uh, small to medium sized businesses, uh, and did an iPhone company back then when it was cool. Uh, and then I had a renewable energy company. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it feels like a long time ago, and it was the in, the, in, the in thing to have. Um, so I was, I was on that bandwagon for a while. Still a hardcore Apple fan, but creatively, uh, you know, worked with a renewable energy company and built it out to a few different states. And when we did that, we really tried to focus on how do you how do you minimize headcount. You know, we didn't have a ton of funding. Uh, and operationally speaking, you start to look at all the aspects of a business. How do you build this out of the box? How do you make it you know sing and swim? And uh, that kind of got your mind into that, hey, we can create businesses. We can kind of figure out all the pieces that go together. We can kind of make them marry and and talk. And I took that experience into where I am today, which was a a startup. Uh, They were around since 2016. Uh, They had a decent number of folks over in our India operation building the actual product. And the ask was if you can come in and help build out all the teams from scratch on the US side. So really receiving a blank slate. And being told, can you build the departments? Can you work with people? Can you scale? Can you hire? Can you, you know, operationalize all the technology? And uh, I said, yes. And uh, here we are today. You know, operations owns uh, many different functions of a company. All of us are different. All of us have different uh, parts of our ownership, but we're responsible for the uh, the nuts and bolts of how things sort of move along.
0: Mm. I find it fascinating because there is a trend I'm seeing with operators where they come from a specialization for for your journey. It's computer science. And then there's like this entrepreneurial spirit that they have. And so they end up being really curious and trying different things. And it seems like going to have that MBA really unlocked a whole new world for you and helping to transition to that. Did you find like in having an MBA, what did you find, I guess was the piece that unlocked it? Was it just seeing different things and being around different people that had different knowledge that expanded what you thought you could do?
1: You know, I think uh, the program I was in was actually only for individuals who had been working for a certain number of years. So your conversations were all kind of coming from the field. And to me, the most important thing that this particular school had, had uh kind of gotten was that we want to get you to a point where you can speak about anything. Mm -hmm. You could walk on stage, be handed a presentation, have never seen it before, and the audience believes that you were a master in that subject. So it was really focusing on how well can you comprehend information, how well can you deliver a story, how well can you not know all the details about it, but lead and guide and build trust. And I think that was sort of the key is how can you convey information and how can you communicate it effectively.
0: It's interesting because when we look into your career, so Joe, you've really had like some crazy roles and led some really diverse types of teams. So you've been, you're currently senior vice president of operations. You've been a managing director, a chief information officer, a senior IT specialist. You've led teams in technical ops, contract ops, revenue ops, people ops, security ops. So like that is <laughs> that is a lot of different knowledge to have and a lot of different roles to take. I mean, could you have ever predicted that that would have been your journey?
1: Never. Never in a million years. My, my journey would have been developing massively complex applications for a long time. Um, to have all those different pieces. I, mean, I don't think anyone wakes up and said, I'd like to read a few hundred contracts this year. or I'd like to interview <laughs> a few hundred people. Never, never in a million years, but you... I think operators, we just like to take on things we never did before. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, please do this. And you say, well, I don't know how to do that, but I'm going to figure it out real fast. I mm-hmm. you just, you like it, you love it, you learn it, and then you massage it till you get better at it.
0: I love it. You like it. You love it, and you learn it. Yeah. <laughs> the t-shirt,
1: there. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh, so, the best way I've been able to describe operations, and we've talked about this: people, process, tech, fused by data. Obviously, you've had experience, deep experience, in all of those different things. So, we need to pick your brain. Um, I need to take some things away today. So, I guess let's let's start with technology, since that you know that's the foundation of your operational brain. From a technology standpoint, and maybe for people who are non-technical in operations, what are some things that you've learned or mentalities of how you approach technology that are good tips for other operators?
1: It does come a little bit in terms of where you are in your journey from a company, the size, your people, your expectations, your how much money you are able to spend. But technology decisions can really sink a company or it can propel you forward. So it's, it's really important to get it right. So when you pick that cheaper product because it fits your budget, you know what is the real opportunity cost that you're going to experience by not getting to that next level? So if you buy an HR system that only works in the U.S., if you're based in the U.S., and then tomorrow you decide to work in Canada or Australia or whatever that is you can't do it your system doesn't support it. So you, you basically have a hardcore stop right there so i think it's important to to look at the technology but marry that to where is your business going where do you think it's going to go how can you get there how can the technology support that vision and then using the technology to your advantage not to be a, a handicap so really digging in not just buying something because it's the best online or has the most reviews it's really understanding if it maps well to your use cases and it will propel your business to the, to the goals that your business currently has.
0: Yeah, man, that's a really good point. And I feel like I've been in so many conversations around technology and budget and, and price really, it does just scare people. I think, <laughs> you know, you can know a tool is fantastic. They price it at a certain price point that in some ways, mentally, you're just saying we can't access that. Like that's not in budget, but trying to evaluate what it can do. Sometimes I feel like that's hard in operations to quantify what a tool can actually do for you. It's very hard to quantify people's time, productivity, scalability. Have you found a way of assessing that when you're looking at technical solutions?
1: I, I do. I think, I think it comes down to the people. You know, People are still the ones making the final decision, right? AI isn't determining what your budget is for the year, at least not yet thankfully um so you have to be able to to communicate the value delivered and have that trust so if that decision maker is above you and they're picking that budget can you deliver enough information to convince them that the case is that you're better off with this particular technology than another because of what you know is going to come down the road. So as, as operators, I feel we're sort of risk preventers and maybe risk notifiers. We know what's going to happen in the future. We're kind of predicting it. If we can tell that story clearly enough with enough factual evidence to believe, you know, to make others understand that journey that you're headed to, you can perhaps Align yourself for better success.
0: Mm, That makes sense. And that transitions beautifully into talking about people because. Operations technology—it's only as good as the people that you're serving, right? And and how you're working with that team. I mean, I can't I can't say the amount of times that I've got on these chats. And the the hardest thing in operations that people don't understand is uh, stakeholder communication, <laughs> and how a lot of our job is just getting people to understand and and communicating the need for different things. So. In your roles, what are some tips that you've learned in how to communicate the importance of operational initiatives? Like, what are some tips that you've learned? Because I'm always trying to figure out new, better ways to get people to understand what we do.
1: Yeah, I, I love that you walk into the people part because out of the technology, the people is the hardest part to solve. The the technology can do whatever you want. It's pretty much scripted there, but you still have to work with people. You have to understand where everyone's coming from. If you're working with a sales team, what drives them? What makes them get re- successful and get rewarded? Is your plan, your operational strategy aligning with that? Can you modify your language to get on that same level of conversation so they understand how your changes help them? When you're talking to finance or leadership or the board, you're doing the same thing. You decide operationally this is where you want to go, but you you have to alter that language to each stakeholder to a way that they will, you know, understand, come on board, and have a conversation. You don't want to talk you know, below someone's technical ability. You don't want to talk above, but you want to meet everyone where it is. So we're sort of changing how we communicate for every single person. We're sort of cookie-cuttering and customizing that conversation. Mm. And that enables those people to, to trust you, to buy in, to have a conversation. Mm. If you go with the blanket, here's my process. I'm going to mass mail it out. Stakeholders, please read it. One, it's probably not gonna be read. Two, it may not really fully meet the need. So if it's if it's that important, make it personal. Have that fifteen minute chat with each person. Bring them on board. Explain to them what you're doing. And I also find more so do it earlier than later. So don't Tell them when there's no point, when there's point of no return where you can't go backwards. Mm. Let them know, hey, look, in the next three months, I'm going to be doing this. These are the benefits. Just want you to know. Give them time for their mind to kind of mesh around that information and bring up points that maybe you didn't think of because we we can't think of everything. So make them part of the journey, make them part of the story, but keep that communication customized to how you will be able to relate together. Mm.
0: That's it. I guess. It's such a good point, and the the main thing, I think, is the difficulty in learning how to do that, right? Like, there are so many nuances to figure out, all right, how do I go from not knowing how to communicate with people to, like, getting to that point? So how, I guess, how did you learn it? I mean, I'm thinking in my own life, I think I just fell on my face a lot. If I'm being honest, I, I feel like I just messed up a lot and then figured out what worked and what didn't work. But did you find any hacks or kind of pro tips along the way in learning those communication skills, especially in how to translate that in different teams, stakeholders, anything that you've learned there?
1: I'd like to say there's a Udemy course I could point you to to answer that <laughs> yeah. question. Um, maybe we can create that after the podcast. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm, th- I'm thinking it came just from practice. I mean, I, I started working at a much younger age for a family business, so talking with people was something I've had very early on. So here's Mr. Jones, Mr. Stranger, go go talk to him. So you had to, you know, eliminate that fear, understand what they're looking for. Mm. Um, in the MBA they were talking about, you know, very much they criticized every single word. On every single presentation, to understand—is that a good word? Is that a bad word? Is it too long? Too short? Too complex? Too simple? Too flowery? I got told a lot of words, my, my words are flowery. I'm not sure exactly what they meant, but they didn't. They were too colorful, I guess. So I think um, I've been fortunate to have a lot of critical looking into the English and how it was communicated through education, and just through talking to different people, seeing the facial expressions, seeing you know whether they get you or don't get you. So I think just talk to as many people as you can. You know, do writing, do exploratory uh, research, and just kind of see what gets conveyed. Mm.
0: Yeah. And I also immediately am thinking of global teams, right? Like, words are even more important. Understanding those words and having a common language, even if, you know, we aren't speaking the same language, you know, those things are just something that you really have to refine and think about constantly as a part of your journey and operations and your skill set. It's really interesting.
1: I think the global aspect is even more key because even when you're interviewing folks, you have to be able to ensure that they can work in a global environment. They can't just say they work in a global environment. So mm-hmm. if you have two or three main centers of operations, have that person interview with someone in each region. Be sure that they can have a conversation because one person can't always tell that. You, know, you have to be able to ensure that they're going to get along and gel with that company culture, regardless of what region that culture is in that day.
0: That is such a great point. I'm gonna take that pro tip. Where if you are if you are interviewing somebody to work with the global team, how are they able to translate how they're talking and communicating based on different team members and being able to switch those hats? That is really, that's really a really good one. I'm, I'm stealing that one. Now I have a question on process, the final piece here, which is I guess a question, maybe it's a controversial question, but I feel like people equate operations to process. Do you think that is true or fair? What do you think?
1: I think it's true. I think I think some people could equate operations to the same way they equate lawyers. Uh, we are the blockers. We are the ones who prevent you from doing what you want to do to make you happy. And, uh, we try very hard to, to not, to not, to not be the blockers. You know, we, we, we say no, because we love you because we want you to not step on the fire coals. You know, it's, it's out of love. Uh, you know, it's not out of, you know, just pure misery. Um, and that's part of that conversation, you know, letting people know the reason you're doing something, the actual reason for why we say no. Uh, and we also should say not no hard stop period, but no, we can do this. We can get there together by making these modifications, by looking at these things. And and that's where I think we can start to change our conversation. But it's it's a lot of work. You know, when we're when we're in an operation mm-hmm. position and you're mentioning that plethora of roles of responsibility, we're not looking at the ask in terms of yes or no. We're looking at the ask in terms of well, how does that affect sales or or contracts or legal or investors of funding or marketing or finance or operations or compliance or security or government work. Like we have all these things we have to ask about. So we might take longer to answer a question Mm. and then our answers might be more detailed than you really want. And in that way people could, you know, be rubbed the wrong way but we have to let them understand that this is all for the betterment of the mission
0: Mm, that actually picks up on something that you see in meetings where you just see the glaze like i'll be talking and all of a sudden i'll just see somebody's face kind of glaze over and it's like that's also i think a challenge for communication standpoint like i sometimes need to just take the time to go aside and actually be able to simply translate my feedback or the decision in a way that makes sense without all the other details. Like, you know, as an operator, we do have to run it through the gamut. We have to look through the entire end to end operations and think about how decisions are going to affect all those things. But you're right. That's not everybody's interest. Um, I will say it was hilarious. The other day, my husband created a process map. It was like one of his first process maps. And I had the reverse experience where he was talking about this process map. There was like a thousand arrows and I just glazed over. And I was like, I think you've fallen into the operator's problem here. (laughs) You understand it perfectly, but you lost me. And that is just such a key thing to think about. It was hilarious.
1: When you start creating a process maps or a list within the family relationship, you know you've sort of went off a deep end. <laughs> more, more so when you know your, your, your little ones do the same thing. So we have, you know, I'm making breakfast with my little one. and There's only so many things you can do for breakfast. You know, when your little one by themselves decides to make a list of the order in which breakfast occurs and how you rotate, you know that the DNA is definitely yours. <laughs> <laughs> There was no hospital swapping there. I feel like
0: we all need an image. Can you please post an image of this? That's too precious. It better have been laminated, is all I've got to say.
1: I haven't introduced laminating yet. I don't want the sickness to go too far.
0: <laughs> yeah, laminators, label makers. Like, let's not go there quite yet. Wait, wait, we got to wait till they're double digits, you know?
1: <laughs> this, this, there is a label maker, but we keep it on a high shelf.
0: Oh, I see, I see. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the inside scoop now, because... You know, you and I live and breathe operations, but people who are not necessarily in it, you know, they. some people get it wrong, some people don't really understand it. So I want to break that down for others. Um, I think the first question is, what do you think people get wrong about operations? And I'm super curious because you have approached operations through a lot of different lenses. So you know what's the commonality there what do you think that people just don't get
1: i think the challenge is that there really is no good definition and that happens with many roles these days so if i look at a a coo across five ten or fifty companies you'll have buckets of what they do but they're all gonna be a little different so i like calling it the kitchen sink role which doesn't maybe help us i'm not quite sure but everyone's kitchen sink is different some are nice and tidy some are really messy some are overflowing some are you know small and large Um, but we do whatever is needed for the company at that particular time during that particular day to move forward. And then that's going to change every single day. So I, I think I think it's different. I think that makes it hard to define, but essentially I, I call ourselves like we're the nuts and bolts. We do all the work that doesn't have an exact name. You have a problem, we're here to solve it. You need an ambulance, we're going to drive the ambulance. You have a fire, we're going to bring the fire truck. You need a, you have a doctor, we're going to bring the, the nurse. Um, we just solve problems.
0: Yeah. We're the ones that you want to keep on speed dial. We'll put it that way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. We should be on
0: your favorites <laughs> list. <laughs> So what do you think is the hardest part about that? I mean, gosh, there's a ton from my experience, but what do you think rises to the top?
1: You know, I think um, maybe expectations internally. As as operators, we like to be able to predict that future and, and understand how to mitigate risk, but you don't always get to do that. So when a decision is made that, yes, we respect your information, we respect your analysis, but we can't go that way. Then the question is, well, how do you manage in your position knowing that that risk will come? So if you believe that yourself to be true and you believe your information to be accurate, but you cannot act on it properly, then how do you make the best of that world going forward?
0: Mm. Wow. Yeah, expectations. that, And I think the hard part is how much those change. You know, I will set out with my week looking a certain way and then within like a half hour it completely changes <laughs> and that that is i feel like something that is maybe i feel like we're always chasing our tail in operations where we sort of set these expectations of how we would like it to go and then obviously reality happens but the the tricky part is that we have you know our hands in so many different aspects of the business to connect them that it is that domino effect it can be really difficult and then you know if one thing changes you've got to let you know four or five people know that is definitely a tricky one
1: yeah i also think for me i mean um write everything down i mean when i'm on a call with someone mm-hmm. i have my own personal notes i'm taking notes of what's important i'm keeping task list i'm keeping you know your asana you, you just kind of record all the details you possibly can so you can look back at it later you may never look at it but if you have to you'll be definitely happy that you did
0: Oh, AI transcript has saved my life in the sense that I still write my own notes, but I knew that that tool was something I could really use when I had written action items after a meeting and then I had AI generate a list of action items and it had missed two or it had gotten two that I had missed. And that's when I knew, okay, this is a very complimentary tool because you're right. It just is, there's no way to track it unless you have it somewhere for yourself, but also, you know, with AI. I mean, thank God, it just has made my life a lot easier to be able to understand what's going on.
1: It it is very cool, but I'm also a little scared. So every conversation that you are on with a vendor, with a client, you don't really know if they're using that. So in the past, you have a conversation with a person and you're like, okay, well, I said something wrong. We're going to move past it. Then you have video and you're like, well, maybe they're recording it. Now you're like, they know every word I said and we'll go back and look at it. So it's almost like in a constant state of surveillance for better or worse.
0: Yeah, it is. It, that was a big problem I had for a long time. I, I'm not a fan of of getting on a call and people automatically recording it. I'm like, you should always ask for consent before recording, you know. And I know that legally, there's not that, right? Some people have like, you know, one one party consent laws. I get that, but I just think that that is, you need to start approaching it that way on a personal level. I don't want aut- to automatically, if I don't know you, then be recorded. You know what I'm saying? Like there is that data privacy and knowing who has what about those conversations. That is that is very hard. Double-edged sword. Technology is always a double-edged sword.
1: It is. We just assume that everything on our lives would now be recorded from this day forward.
0: Hello, fellow thinkers. Now, if you have been a loyal listener of Secret Ops, then you already know about our sponsors, Baron Fig, the company that makes tools for thinkers. Now, I'm totally biased, but I really think that Baron Fig has the best product suite for thinkers and operators alike. And you know what? I'm not the only one that thinks so. Bloomberg said, and I quote, that Baron Fig's products are, quote, high-end and well-crafted, which they absolutely are. Their Confidant notebook is the most delicious notebook that you will use with the most perfect dot grid paper. But it's not just Bloomberg. Actually, fun fact, New York Magazine, they tested hundred pens to find the top pen and after testing all of those pens, they rated Baron Fig Squire Pen the number one pen. The number one pen. It's not just me, y'all. You got to give them a try. And guess what? We got you hooked up with the discount code. If you go to BaronFig.com today, enter in the discount code SECRET20 and get 20% off your next order of $50 or more. Again, that's SECRET20 and get 20% off your next order of $50 or more. Oh, I'm like so jealous that you're going to get to see all this for the first time because they're, they're, their products are so delicious. Anyway, uh, enjoy, have fun, let us know how you use the tools, and let's get back to the show. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's the truth. So let's talk about the joy of operations because we wouldn't do it ultimately if it was only a pain in the butt, right? So what would you say is the thing that gets you excited when you wake up in the morning about being an operator
1: I think it's getting i 'm going to go back to the computer science part here is that when you start in those days, you know I enjoy building that mental map in your head. this is how I want this thing to be like, and we 're going to work to architect it to build this you know with ones and zeros, but it 's going to be something that's built operationally speaking we're doing the same thing we would like a company to be structured like this we'd like people to collaborate like this we'd like tools to talk like this so when you get to wake up and get closer to that goal of seeing those efficiencies happen of seeing those changes manifest themselves i think that's a fun part you know you might be looking back and saying i might have started that two years ago it took a long time um but you you know that you got there for a particular reason and you got to see that particular change you know actually happen in real life
0: mm. There is that, that, you know, they just say, take one foot in front of you, right? And I feel like with operations, you're like taking a lot of little tiny steps and it's not until you look back and you see the change that has been affected from like what you wanted to where you are, you know, a year from setting that out, then you start to really understand how much impact has, has occurred in the work that you've done.
1: I was having a similar conversation the other day and thinking about, you know, you talking about the customer and how can things affect the customer conversation and making them happier. You know, that can go right back to, you know, your IT. Let's say you're a new employee and you need to do something for a customer. You don't have access to that tool, and How do you get access? Can you ask for it? Is there a ticket? Is there a process? Is there a lengthy, you know, experience you need to go through? Every decision that we make does eventually impact the customer buying your product. So you have to start looking at it not from just running the company and meeting the mission. It's you're really affecting that customer close, um, and you're putting on that other hat into the conversation. And that's how you can kind of also tweak things. You know, we're we're making you change this IT process because it will help you in this way or it will help you in that way. And that's where I think catering that story towards each group really helps kind of sell it.
0: Yeah and you know that customer experience it totally reflects the internal experience too it, it's all tied together and that ultimately is like how you build a culture right your culture is not only reflected internally but externally that was something i don't know if i've pieced together until you know maybe two years ago, I'm like, wow, if you don't have a good internal culture, you don't have a good external culture with your clients. It's just very hard to keep those two separate because they really influence each other. Vice versa though, you know, how you navigate with your clients, if you can think about that all the way through your internal ways of working, they really go hand in hand, become quite complementary. You know, it, it depends on how all the technology and process and communications goes together. But that is ultimately the goal: is that they're harmonious and they work together.
1: It is. I mean, at the end of the day, we're all here to to sell something, to make people happy, to move something forward, and that should sort of be what's on our desk each day, right? We're here to do something better than yesterday.
0: Hmm. That's that's the quote. I don't know. You've, you're quite quotable. I feel like I've just been. Pulling out all these little (laughs) things here and there.
1: Uh, 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 My language is flowery and quotable. (laughs) I I guess I'll maybe add (laughs) that to LinkedIn later.
0: (laughs) Um, Now, I think if people are listening to us, they hear your journey and they want to walk that path how would you recommend somebody getting into operations and i especially want to know you know a lot of us fall into it mm-hmm. so if somebody is intentionally wanting to get into it what is what, what could that look like for them
1: yeah my, my, my new belief on that is and even look at this podcast right you know we've created all this content in the last few years this stuff didn't exist when we started so it's just a plethora of information um you know we could choose to spend our evenings Death scrolling through YouTube, you know, just kind of watching all random videos, or maybe you could take 20 minutes and learn something that you have absolutely, you think you have no interest in, or maybe you think you have interest in, just learn something, you know, take a look at it, listen to a podcast, a webinar, a video, some education thing, take a Udemy course, and just kind of spot check different activities, what, what strikes your fancy, what do you think you're good at, what can you practice on. We're at a point with information, I think, where almost every topic is covered ad nauseum online in some actual high-quality form that probably doesn't cost you much. Mm. So any age, any social status, as long as you can get online, that information is relatively democratized.
0: That's a really good point, too, because it's about, also for me, micro-learning. Like, we we can never stop learning. This is just what's happening and will be forever our situation as we grow. The interesting part is though, if you can just sort of take the doom scrolling, which I am definitely, definitely guilty of. And as you're consciously realizing you're doing that, just put it at something productive, even for 10 minutes a day, that compounds every day. If you just take 10 minutes to learn something new or deepen something that you already know, that ultimately is what gets you into either operations as a generalist, a specialist into some, you know, job title that doesn't exist today, but will in five years. (laughs) That's how it'll get to you to where you need to go.
1: Oh, yes. I mean, I'm going to date myself a little bit, but if memory serves me correctly, I was a cognitive science minor way back when. I think we read a paper about like knowledge workers and knowledge society by Peter Drucker. And that kind of goes into length about this type of thing, but from a much earlier point of view. And maybe that also set the stone for these little learning type activities.
0: Mm. Could you talk more about that?
1: I, I just remember uh, in the course, again, it was ages ago, just reading at length about how society has changed, how you are more of a knowledge society and how that has sort of transformed transformed. transformed uh, the way we think about things so it's just sort of a different shift you know you went from working with your hands to being knowledge knowledge being the asset that is transferred between individuals knowledge is what can set different units or societies apart it's just a a shift in society
0: Mm, so interesting i want to i want to dive into that more now uh I want to go into a bonus question for, for those Secret Ops uh, listeners who are extra jazzed about operations. And I wanted to pull in a question from your LinkedIn profile because I read it and I was like, ooh, this is what I want to talk to him about. So on your profile, it says that you're the Swiss Army knife of executive functions, having served at executive levels across diverse departments. The Swiss Army knife of executive functions... I feel like man in those like you know seven words you've really summarized what your journey is. Do you think that operators are just with army knives? Like do you think that all of us have to be that? Or do you think that's a choice to to be that and then to specialize in other cases?
1: That's a really deep question. I think it depends on where you're going to work and what you want to do so you could be an operator focused on just one particular area and you could be excellent at it totally happy and that's totally okay you can also be someone who wants that fire every day or wants to have the hand in 12 different pots maybe you get bored Uh, i think it depends on on where you want to be for me i've kind of fallen into having all the different departments and it took a long time to kind of get those seven words to hopefully convey what i was hoping for um, I think it depends on the person. Some people like to be focused on one thing or three things. Some people want to have a thousand things. And that also could determine how you're productive. Some people are more productive with the more things they have. Their mind just works that way. They have one thing, they're less productive. If They have 10, they're more productive. It's kind of reverse logic.
0: Mm. That's a big debate because I feel like when I started on my own, a lot of people say you need to specialize. And I 100% understand why specialization can help you. But I also just internally resist it <laughs> because I feel like if I specialize I'm missing a whole other piece of what I could know to to do this medium of of operations and I like I like that big end-to-end kind of you know, catch all Swiss army knife. That's like my vibe of operations. But I also think I do spread myself too thin at times. And there's always that balance. That's very hard to find the the right equation.
1: It is. And I think actually bringing back memories for me, when I was making that decision to go for an MBA, uh, a very high level manager at that time was very against it and said, well, you're a computer scientist, your next path is only a master's in computer science, you should not step into the other world. This is, you belong in this world. So I guess you have to make that decision of where do you want to go in life? What do you want to do? What do you want to learn?
0: Mm, yeah, th- there was for, I think, a long time this idea that, or I guess this, I feel like it was pitched from generation to generation that a path can be, should be quite linear. What wasn't really considered in that type of conversation was how how technology would just change the access to learning. I mean, I learned my technical skills at a boot camp in three months, right? Like I learned full stack web development in that. And and my degree was nothing, nothing to do with technology, right? That is kind of the environment that we in. If you go on YouTube, if you go on Udemy, if you go all these different platforms, all of a sudden you have access that can learn new skills and it doesn't have to be linear. In those options, though, it can be confusing to know what to do.
1: It is. And actually, I think, you you know, there's many communities out there, and I'm also part of others that have the generalist title. And I think it's a great title. I think the world needs to learn more about it. I don't think we're there yet where everyone understands what it is. But a question that they posed was, you know, years ago, you ask your child, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you expect a single answer. Mm-hmm. Are we going to make the physical change or say, what do you want to be when you grow up? but it's okay to give me more than one answer. You could be two things. You could be three things. You could be five things. So if you change that mental shift from those early days, people perhaps naturally want to take on more things, which also makes society better. People smarter, more trained, more job resilient. Um, I think it's a whole shift of mentality around where you want, People's lives to go
0: totally. That that is a really good point. Is how can we encourage that at a young age to be interested in combining ideas and combining um, interests that you have? I mean, I think when I was a kid, you know, my mom has saved like those kind of questionnaires that you have. Like, and mine was like, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And I think I said a teacher. The interesting part was. I'm not, I've never been a traditional kind of teacher, but this is kind of like teaching. I've done technology education, that, that's teaching, right? I teach operations internally. That, that thing that brings you joy can be threaded through a lot of different avenues and industries within your life. And if we start to give that optionality earlier on, I guess, how can that change the trajectory of someone's life? Probably big ways.
1: I would hope so. Just let them know it's, it's okay to learn. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to try different things. Just experiment.
0: How have you found, since I know you've got little ones, uh, how have you found that lesson to be acted in parenting? <laughs> so like, how have you, you know, you know what you're conscious of it. You've lived it. How have you tried to translate that?
1: Yeah. and I've shared this one before. Uh, people take it different ways, I guess, but I've always liked to explain why I'm doing something as if I'm explaining it to you, another adult, not to baby it down. Mm. So you might have to explain it a few times, but I will go at length to explain why I made a decision or how I'm doing something or how I'm fixing something. Like, you know, does your two-year-old really care how you're fixing the plumbing under your kitchen sink? No. But maybe they're going to remember it. You know, maybe they're going to understand it. You know, do they really... I'll even go and say, look, here's the five different types of USB. And I'll point out each one and and name them. Um, Just kind of overly going through the different types of things. So they kind of are aware of things and they're hearing all this unique information.
0: Oh, wow. How... What are the challenges that have arisen with that? Because <laughs> my fear, I have, I have nannied, I have done daycare, I have worked with children in a lot of capacities, and you get the why, like the, the why, the why, the why, which is amazing until you can't really answer the why. Like it's so meta. <laughs> They're like, you know, what's his life? And you're like, I don't know. I don't know. You know, like, how have you found that?
1: Um, I, it's okay, except for, you know, where does the tooth fairy come from as a hard one? Um, you know, trying to like, well, like, well, how do they get in without, you know, setting the alarm off? And I'm like, that's a really good question. Um, Now you know how alarms work. Um, So those are the hard ones. The the other parts are good, except that they're, I think the level of logical reasoning uh, increases at a much younger age. So you see these children coming back with lines that are like, that's really correct and really above your age. So we're just gonna have a smart society, I think. People are just gonna you learn more. They're gonna we're gonna pack in more knowledge before they even get out of high school.
0: Wow, so interesting. Thank you for sharing that. It's always I'm always curious to see how, how you translate these things that you're learning within your career into parenthood, because it's you learn these lessons and then trying to apply it to your life, even for myself <laughs> with my parents or even my dog. it's So funny trying to translate certain things, you know,
1: what operational lessons do you provide your dog?
0: Oh my gosh. I will <laughs> give one. Cause I think that's only fair since I put you on the spot there. So, <laughs> so for me, I think, a great example, you know, we got our pup in 2020 as gazillions of other people did. So we definitely had that issue of leaving our, our dog at home because we were all quarantined inside. And then all of a sudden there was a separation anxiety. I think just like with operations, consistency is key. So we had tried to like leave him at home and get him used to being at home by himself. But when we weren't consistent, there was just like, if we didn't do it every day, leave the house, even for five minutes, it just would go crazy. And I, I think that it was until, like, a couple months that we just didn't have a pattern that we realized, like, oh, my God, I'm such an idiot. Like, I'm an operations person and I didn't even apply the consistency is key principle (laughs) into my own life. And it was true once we did it, it had that consistent flow, had that consistent expectation and behavior, like, everything fell into peace in the way that it needed to. So that that was like a lesson that I felt was right in front of my face and I just wasn't applying it to our own little dog, Luigi.
1: I, I, I like that. I'll, I'll even extract the, even a higher lesson is that change takes time not
0: instant yes i love
1: a t-shirt that is that
0: that is it and we run into a lot of other you know we're walking luigi run into a lot of other you know dog owners on the street and they are having the same issues and we just say like it just takes time and it it's painful to leave them and they're sad and you just got to keep going it's like the same thing with operations like You're adopting a new process and it sucks and everybody hates it. And then you're like a week or two in and you're like, oh, this is why we're doing this. And it all of a sudden starts to all make sense. Same thing with uh, having a pup.
1: (laughs) Also helps to kind of point out all the pain points they had beforehand, and promise, hopefully, correctly mm. that those pain points will will be gone.
0: Yeah, yeah, the pain points definitely were the the catalyst to getting our act together. So uh, I guess that's something to note, which is like, what is your pain point and what you're trying to solve? Sure. Uh, I guess I got to do like a, a user journey for our dog in that process. Maybe that'll help other dog dog owners.
1: <laughs> Let me know how that goes.
0: <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> So let's wrap up with some rapid fire questions to know uh, more about you as a human being. So I'm going to throw these at you and you just answer whatever comes into your brain. First one is, what is your favorite part of the day?
1: When the email goes to zero.
0: Oh man, inbox zero. Yo, so satisfying.
1: Yeah, we strive. It's I, I actually take a screenshot of it. That sounds kind of nerdy.
0: Oh, I love it. <laughs> You just look in your photo album and it's just thousands of empty inbox pictures.
1: <laughs> it doesn't happen every day. No, no, no one's that consistent. But when it does happen, it's like just a moment you just take there, you stare at, you're like, I love that hero.
0: <laughs> Um, What book are you currently reading or what audiobook are you listening to?
1: Ooh. It's always a hard one for me to ask because we read so much during the day. I don't really dedicate a separate reading time, um, but I try to be more active in communities and the random white papers that people send. So they're short, you can read them fast. Mm. And as part of that continual learning, just learning random things, whether it's a product or technology or something else. So I just, mm. I read random white papers that sound interesting.
0: Is there a white paper that has stuck with you having read it?
1: I I will say, actually, on the operational note, there's another community, uh, Operations Nation, that is creating essentially a a book for COOs. And the first few chapters are out. I have read it. It is phenomenal. A Little Upset didn't exist when we were starting our journey. But for new people, I think they should check that out.
0: Yeah, I would agree. It's excellent. Um, And it's crowdsourced by a bunch of operational just – gurus so 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 good yes wouldn't expect anything less of operators but um it still is really beautiful to learn and read what is the best purchase you've made under 50 dollars?
1: okay i don't know exactly how much it cost i think it was under 50 i could be wrong but purchasing a tool called reclaim.ai
0: why does that sound familiar what does it do i'm having a a moment here
1: you can plug in multiple calendars to that system You can have them sync in different directions, but change the content of the title. So you can have like family privacy in a, in a work calendar. You can also preset things you want to do each day and have the AI book it for you. So if you say, Hey, I need an hour a day of quiet time to get my stuff done. I don't care when it happens, it can book that for you. And then as your calendar changes, it will adjust that up and down, changing from free to a full lock.
0: Whoa. Pause one moment. Does Can you also bring in Google calendars and Microsoft calendars to this tool? Definitely Google. I think they're working
1: on Microsoft, but I'm not sure if they got it yet, but I've been using it with Google calendars and I've abused it extensively. And for me, that's saying something uh, and it has done what I expected. So I'm happy. It may be more than 50, but it's definitely less than a hundred.
0: Oh, I'm checking it out.
1: I think Pretty sure.
0: Um, Next one, which is, what is your favorite quote or a quote that has stuck with you?
1: Oh, we'll go with John Wick. What is it? I I have served. I live to serve. That's a a new one. We'll go with that one.
0: Ooh, love John Wick. 10 out of 10. (laughs) What is something that makes you little kid happy? So whenever you do it, it just brings you just the most joy.
1: Besides in Buck Zero?
0: (laughs) Yes. Clearly we have stumbled upon that.
1: (laughs) You know, when you when you have a, uh, a long-standing task that was really important and you finally got it out the door and people actually like it and you can press that complete button and you're, and you're finished with it. And you're like, we did that, we're done. Mm.
0: At this time in your life, what is the most important lesson you've learned?
1: Uh, patience. I think uh, in an earlier day, uh, you could have taken things more personally, you know, business problems, situations, calamities. They had more like, internal uh, upsetness uh, i think eventually uh, you age and you and you learn that it's going to happen regardless of how much you emotionally feel about it bad things will happen all the time how are you going to handle it how you're going to react it? how you're going to solve it so you know we can have something negative occur uh, and that's just another problem to solve so let's not get personally upset let's not get emotional no screaming no fighting no fist punching let's just figure out how we move forward so just removing the not to be cold, but you're removing the emotion from it because it is just another business problem. And tomorrow after we solve this, there'll be another business problem and we will solve that one too.
0: Hmm. Last one for you, which is, what do you want to be when you grow up? Iron (laughs) Man. It's going to happen. Give him 10 years. No, no big deal.
1: It's a, re- it's a really cool soup um I, I like building things so just continually you know building and seeing companies grow and facilitating the intersection where you know operations technology and strategy kind of meet
0: beautiful Joe if people are listening to you they dig what you're serving up where can they find you
1: uh, best place at the moment would be on LinkedIn
0: perfect we'll drop that in the description. Thank you so much for your knowledge and for just being so generous, sharing your experience and your lessons and all of these wonderful operational taglines that we will use in different ways. <laughs> we appreciate it.
1: Oh, thank you very much. I'm happy to be here and I hope uh, those listening have uh, picked up some nuggets that they can use in their own careers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I do also want to thank the, the Secret Ops listeners. Please remember to follow us wherever you find your podcasts and check us out at secret-ops.com. We'll see you next time. Hey, listener do you want to be a top operator in business and in life well we at secret ops are here to help you do just that check out our monthly secret ops newsletter with exclusive intel just for you from bonus content to secret resources we've given you the vip access to sign up check out the link in the description and as always thanks for listening